0: Are the ukrainians allowed to win are they allowed to win because the mindset of this administration is they just need enough to hold on people are getting slaughtered folks 10 percent of the population has gotten up and is trying to leave the country has left the country millions and millions of refugees these cities are getting pounded regardless of experts saying the russians are in trouble they may well be in trouble I, i don't second guess that what i'm saying though is people are losing their lives in the meantime these cities are being destroyed in the meantime
1: this is where freedom rings
0: if you believe in america if you believe in the constitution the constitution empowers us it's a new day america's back america's back and america's going to get strong again we're going to defend america and we're going to defend our interests
1: liberty's voice levin tv
0: Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin, and this is Levin TV. I think there's not just fascinating, but a very important piece in the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail is a very interesting publication. And there's a piece, if you look on the screen, you can look at the map of the region that we've been talking about, Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, and so forth. The title is How Desperate Putin Has Just Three Moves Left Against Ukraine and Time is Running Out by Justin Bronk. He says, Ukraine has to sustain the ability of its forces to continue fighting effectively and counterattacking to regain lost territory. If it's to hold out against the Russians, President Zelensky's troops are mobilizing new Ukrainian forces in the West with modern weapons provided by Western countries. And these could be sent to reinforce Odessa or Kiev rapidly if needed. First of all, look at the strategies of the Ukrainians. They're really good fighters and good, uh, good strategists. Mr. Bronk, a leading military expert in air power and technology, added that Ukraine must sustain morale of its troops and citizens and ensure Western military and other assistance continues to flow into the country. He added that Russian forces are in a dangerous position, which is likely to deteriorate in the coming weeks without a major pause in fighting, meaning that it is vital that the Ukrainians continue to battle hard. In contrast, Mr. Bronk said the Russians are likely to attempt three options, one of them being driving northwards from Melitopol towards Dnopro to meet with a thrust southward from Kharkiv at the same time. The second is that the Russians will continue bombardments Mariupol, Kharkiv and other smaller cities, while the third is that they will carry on attempting to encircle and bypass Malavia in the south. He also said parts of Ukraine are now beyond Russia's capacity to influence or regain forever. Adding Putin now needs his forces to achieve something he can sell to his own people as a victory worth these huge costs. Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th with a clear intent to decapitate the Ukrainian state at both the national and local level, capture key cities and infrastructure, and presumably put a compliant pro-Russian client government in place to facilitate Ukraine's de facto absorption into a greater Russia alongside Belarus. The strength and responsiveness of Ukrainian defenders, coupled with extremely poor planning by the Russians. Morale and coordination among Russian forces ensured that Russia's initial plan failed. That failure has so far cost the Russian army 5,000 to 8,000 troops killed in action. It's not clear it's that many, but it could be, with probably three to four times that many wounded captured or missing, along with at least 1,350 vehicles, heavy weapons, and aircraft destroyed or captured. They are losing a lot of tanks. There is significantly less clarity on Ukrainian military losses, but they are also likely to be in the low thousands due to the heavy Russian use of artillery and other heavy firepower on all their axes of advance. Nevertheless, after three weeks of fighting, the initial Russian aims of overthrowing the Ukrainian government Kiev and setting up a client state in its place are no longer achievable. This is according to this expert. The Russian army has struggled to make progress in the muddy terrain in the north and northeast of Ukraine since the invasion began. It has so far failed to completely encircle and cut off either Kiev or Kharkiv. Ukraine has conducted successful counterattacks at Chernihiv and Erpen near Kiev and also successfully held open resupply corridors into both Kiev itself and kharkiv to the northeast near the russian border it is increasingly clear that the russian army may struggle to assemble sufficient combat power to actually take kharkiv let alone kiev although you keep pounding a city with artillery you can destroy the city whether you take it or not and that's the problem in addition to the losses already suffered its resupply convoys are under constant attack by ukrainian light infantry kharkiv Sumy and and Trenivhiv are under heavy bombardment, but the limited Russian efforts to actually storm besieged cities and towns in the north have been costly and largely unsuccessful. Part of the reason for this is that the Russian Air Force has failed to gain air superiority over most of Ukraine, despite having hundreds of modern fast jets and helicopter gunships. Limited flying hours for pilots to hone their skills in complex mission sets, Limited stockpiles of modern precision guided weapons and good Ukrainian defensive tactics have prevented the Russian Air Force from destroying most of Ukraine's mobile service to air missiles, SAM missile systems. Consequently, its aircraft are having to operate largely at low altitudes where SAM systems are less effective, dropping unguided bombs and rockets with limited accuracy. At these low altitudes, they are taking consistent losses to shoulder fired anti-aircraft Stinger, and IGLA missiles by day, which in turn is making them operate at night where they struggle to identify battlefield targets. Things have gone better for Russian forces in the south of Ukraine, where the terrain is more open and the ground firmer, allowing Russian forces to maneuver more efficiently off-road. You know, a lot of these forces are there as a result of the Russian Navy, which has 14 or 15 large um, military ships there. And one of the things the government in Ukraine had asked for in December the Biden administration were these harpoon missiles. Harpoon missiles. It's called harpoon for a reason. These are missiles that are used to attack and sink naval vessels. Uh, they were denied those missiles. And so you can see the lives that would have been saved and the tactics that would have been destroyed had the Biden administration done what it should have done. The bulk of the Ukraine regular army was deployed along the Donbass line of contact in the east of the country at the start of the invasion. That's because that's where the Russian had militia uh, that were trying to take over uh, parts of uh, Ukraine, including those two provinces that uh, Putin declared independent. These units have been largely unable to break contact to reinforce other areas due to heavy attacks by separatists and Russian forces from the east. They want to keep the east bottled up. From the russian forces pulling in front uh, pouring in from russia so they can't really take those forces out They've, those have been about 60 percent of the ukrainian army is there with most other units stationed in the north and northeast to defend against attacks on kiev and kharkiv the south of ukraine was always lightly defended as a result russian forces captured the cities of Kherson and Melitopol. In the first few days of the invasion and also rapidly encircled the key port city of maripol which is getting pounded and pounded and pounded but despite its advantages in the south the russian army has so far failed to capture maripol after weeks of intense bombardments of the city it has also failed to capture the smaller city of mykolyav to the northeast of Kherson. russia has suffered crippling financial damage from unprecedented sanctions imposed by nato the EU and many other nations, including Switzerland and Israel. It has burned carefully cultivated influence networks, destroyed its remaining soft power and global reputation. Russia is now largely cut off from global air travel and even many large shipping networks. Meanwhile, its army is taking losses in Ukraine, which are fundamentally unsustainable if they continue over more than a month or two. In return, it has captured limited amounts of territory in the north, east, and south of Ukraine, but has only taken one major city, Kherson, and a few smaller ones, such as Melitopol. The other cities it has encircled, such as Maripol, Kharkiv, and Sumy, have already badly damaged or destroyed by weeks of bombardments and fighting, even if Russian troops eventually succeed in forcing them to surrender. They will be left attempting to control a partially armed population, which is now united as never before by an intense hatred of Russia. Now, this is one expert's opinion, but it's certainly worth hearing. Meanwhile, the rest of Ukraine is now beyond Russia's capacity to influence or regain forever. Putin now needs his forces to achieve something he can sell to his people as victory uh, worth these uh, high costs. And this is becoming an issue back home in Mother Russia. In this context, Russian forces are likely to attempt three things. First, they will attempt to weaken Ukraine's ability to continue the fighting at its current intensity by driving northwards from Melitopol towards Dnopro to meet with a simultaneous thrust southward from Kharkiv. If this is successful, then the bulk of Ukraine's regular army units in Donbass will be cut off and isolated from the rest of the country. Second. The Russians will continue the brutal and indiscriminate bombardments of Maripol, Kharkiv, and other smaller cities. The suffering of the remaining inhabitants and defenders being used to pressure the Ukrainian government to agree to a ceasefire on terms which would allow Russian forces to pause, consolidate their gains, rotate those units which have been mostly badly mauled. Third, Russian forces will continue attempting to encircle and bypass Mykolaiv in the south, so that they can threaten a drive towards Ukraine's remaining southwestern port city of Odessa. A Russian Navy task force that has been waiting off Odessa for weeks has conducting shelling of the city in recent days and might attempt an amphibious assault if friendly ground forces can get close enough. Meanwhile, the attempts to encircle Kiev will continue, and the city is likely to come under increased bombardment, but is highly unlikely to fall to direct assault. For the Ukrainian government, the focus will be on sustaining the ability of its forces to continue fighting effectively and counterattacking to regain lost territory where possible. In The west of Ukraine, new forces are being rapidly mobilized, trained and equipped with modern weapons provided by Western countries. These will need time to reach a high level of combat effectiveness, but could be sent to reinforce Odessa or Kiev fairly rapidly if needed. Now, let me just take a short break. I'm almost complete, I've completed this article. I can almost guarantee you that the Ukrainian military is getting strategic advice from the United States and other Western countries on how to fight this war. Remember, our satellites are watching this um, and our intelligence is examining this. And I suspect the Ukrainians are getting all kinds of top-notch, top-level advice on how to use strategic maneuvers and, and tactical attacks against the Russians. That's my guess. And I'm probably right. In the meantime, the government must sustain the morale of its troops and citizens and make sure Western military and other assistance continues to flow into the country. Russian forces are in a dangerous position. And one that is only likely to deteriorate over the coming weeks without a major pause in the fighting however the risk is that continuing ukrainian civilian casualties or any major military setbacks in the east or south might force the government in kiev to accept ceasefire terms that would give russian forces that pause without forcing them to retreat from the territory they have stolen and zelensky and his government need to be mindful of this this could be a head fake it could be a -a rope-a-dope by putin And that would be my fear. By contrast, if Ukraine can continue to fight in the coming weeks, the Russian military and political position will look increasingly disastrous. Are the Ukrainians allowed to win? I asked this the other day. I've asked it on radio. Are they allowed to win? Because the Biden administration, I don't think so. They think that would be an escalating factor. This is why you give them the MIGs. This is why you give them the tools so they have all kinds of flexible options. Uh, And obviously, unlike uh, Stinger missiles and Javelins and these other systems, even the harpoon system, all of which are man operated on the ground, infantry operated on the ground and are deadly. If you need to get from the western part of Ukraine to the eastern part of Ukraine or the northern part of Ukraine to the southern part of Ukraine and you need to get there fast and you need to get there with some weaponry, that's when you use fighter jets. People said, why aren't they taking out the 40 mile long um, convoy of Russian tanks and armored personnel carriers and so forth? They needed more jets. If they had more jets, a lot of those uh, heavy weapons wouldn't be in use today. And what's the easiest way to take out an artillery battery that is surrounding cities or at least three sides of Kiev? Jets, jet bombers, missiles from jets. That's the easiest way to end this uh, or end those, uh, particularly, batteries. So our Pentagon is lying when they say they don't think it'll make a difference. The Ukrainians do. Uh, And it's really sort of a bizarre argument. On the one hand, you have them saying, if we give them the MiGs, It will escalate matters, and they've already threatened to use nukes. Right, Mr. Producer? On the other hand, they're saying the MiGs can't help them. Huh? So the MiGs are inconsequential, and so Putin would threaten to actually use nuclear weapons for inconsequential jets? On the other hand, we know the MiGs are not inconsequential. And so this is a lie to try and back up Biden's position The movement towards giving them the MIGs that they wanted and needed was afoot. The Poles came out and offered it to them. Well, Mark, it would go through our base in Germany. So what? Where the hell do you think these other weapons are coming from? They're actually manufactured in the United States, right? Right. So you can't allow Putin to dictate the terms of the battlefield. And that's what happens when your whole focus is on escalation and not deterrence, as I keep talking about. Now, one of the things that I'm gratified about, not because of an ego, but because it's important. I'm spending time on this program. And I'm spending time on my funk show and on radio. But this is the best format for it. I'm spending time to push back against the Putin wing of the Republican Party and the Democrat Party and these analysts who are throwing all kinds of flack up there to try and and convince you and I don't know whom else Uh, that we shouldn't supply Ukraine with everything they need. I'll say it again. No, I don't believe you send troops into that situation. That would be suicidal. Nor do I believe that we operate some kind of a no-fly zone. That would be absurd. But not to give them MiGs? That is absurd. Not to give them whatever they need? That's absurd. Because I asked the question earlier. I've asked it here before. I've asked it on radio, and I've asked it on Fox. Are the Ukrainians allowed to win? Are they allowed to win? Because the mindset of this administration is they just need enough to hold on. People are getting slaughtered, folks. 10% of the population has gotten up and is trying to leave the country, has left the country. Millions and millions of refugees. These cities are getting pounded, regardless of experts saying the Russians are in trouble. They may well be in trouble. I, I don't second guess that. What I'm saying, though, is... People are losing their lives in the meantime. These cities are being destroyed in the meantime. Whether or not they can put in a replacement government, whether or not they can control the cities afterwards. Real damage is being done. So you give the Ukrainians what they need. Now, what would happen? Let's think this through. If Putin's back is against the wall, would he start shooting nukes? Well, what other options does he have? Declaring victory and getting the hell out or declaring victory and cutting some kind of peace. That's the other options he has. The man ultimately is a coward. He's an assassin. He's killed his way to the top. And those are other people's kids who are fighting. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care that he slaughters other people, whether they're Russians, Ukrainians, Syrians, Chechnians. doesn't matter to him. He views himself as bigger than life. Ask him. He says he's Stalin, Catherine the Great, and on and on and on. That's the way he thinks. So lives are expendable, except for one, his. If he wanted to use nukes, he can use them already. He doesn't need any provocation from us, so-called provocation. But on the one hand, the idea that you send the MiGs, which our military says are not going to help them, but that that would... That would escalate matters and then trigger a nuclear war is so absurd on its face. It's not even, it, it's irrational. It can't be both, can it? And the answer is no. Now he's stuck. And now's the time to hammer the hell out of him with everything, everything the West has in a way that does not involve the United States directly with soldiers or no fly zone. So this can be done. Now, how do I know that? Because Reagan did it in Afghanistan. Did exactly this in Afghanistan. And not just Afghanistan. He pushed back against the Soviets in Angola. He pushed back against the Soviets in Nicaragua. He pushed back against the Soviets all over the world. In the Middle East. We gave our freedom fighters all over the world weaponry. He didn't worry about that. Look at Donald Trump. The Syrians were warned not to use gas on their people, and they did. Trump had warned them not to, but they did. Obama had warned them not to earlier, and they did, and, you know, he went golfing. Uh, And, of course, uh, afterwards, uh, Putin invaded Crimea, and nothing happened after that either. He sent blankets and uh, foodstuffs to uh, Ukraine, I think. Okay, so that's how that reacted. What did Trump do? He fired missiles from our ships that hit the Syrian base. Who was controlling and running that Syrian base? The Russians. That act, triggered by Trump as a result of what the Syrians had done, killed up to 300 Russians on that base. Was that escalatory? No. It was a great deterrent. And Russia never challenged Trump. All right, Sky News, here is a, a foreign fighter. And foreign fighters, you know what? I have nothing but respect for these people. It's like the, it's like the French Foreign Legion, except it's even, it's, it's even more remarkable. These are men and women, but mostly men, who are veterans of other wars, or who have been in civil wars on the side of the freedom fighters, who see what's happening in Ukraine. These are heroes and they have the guts to go there. And what you're gonna see here is a Jewish gentleman who is saying, I'm going and others need to go too. Go.
1: I am here to fight for, for this country, for our values, our European values. It is very easy to sit on the couch and say that, uh, you know, we are Europe, yeah. We have this, uh, you know, democracy, and pluralism, and freedom of uh, religion, yeah? But we are sitting on the couches, right? So I do believe that uh, Russian aggression and war is evil. And um, you know, Plato said that uh, the worst evil of all is ignorance. Only eight years ago, six million Jews were butchered. You know why? Not because of someone came to kill them, You know, oh, Hitler was a bad boy and he killed everyone. No, this is we, indifferent people, ignorant people, staring from our windows. We said back then that, oh, those Jews, they are killing those Jews. It's the same story. Come from your couches, get up your bottom, do something about it. If you have a combat experience, combat not military combat experience, go and fight. If you don't, there are millions ways, million ways to help Ukraine. Just don't be ignorant. That 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 was killing those people here.
0: So there he is. He's in Ukraine, a combat veteran. And he's not alone. There are thousands. I mean, these are brave men and women, and I, I cannot thank them enough for what they're doing all over the world. Uh, most of the Russians who are fighting, it turns out, are conscripts, uh, as you might expect. We have a CNN producer who describes uh, the interac- interaction with the Russian prisoners of war. I thought this was interesting as well. Now, it doesn't mean they all respond, all these POWs respond this way, but here are some anyway. Go. Go.
2: Russian soldiers crying as they recount phone calls with their families, describing Putin's invasion and the shelling of cities as, quote, crimes committed against the Ukrainian people, suggesting they were deceived about Russia's military operation and saying Putin is trying to deceive the world with his purported reason for invading. All of it coming from three Russian prisoners of war who spoke to our Sebastian Shukla in a remarkable 30-minute conversation, one of them indicating that Russian troops are widely opposed to the war. Telling Seb, quote, I know in my unit they are totally against it. Sebastian Shukla is out front and he has been covering the war in Ukraine since the lead up to the invasion. And of course, for so many years, I know you have spent an incredible amount of time uh, in in the country, in the Donbass. So, Seb, you had this remarkable opportunity now to meet with, to speak with these captured soldiers up close They were upset by the civilian casualties. One soldier telling you, and I I just want to read this quote of what they said to you, it was a horrifying fact, not just because it is a crime, it's vandalism. You cannot forgive such things. To bomb a maternity ward? The soldier, of course, was referring to that Mariupol maternity ward bombing in which multiple people were killed, including a woman and her unborn child. Seb, tell me more about that conversation.
3: Well, Erin, I was able to speak to them one-to-one after a press conference on Friday uh, in Kiev. And I can say, honestly, that they they sounded remorseful to me. They sounded regretful uh, for what had happened. But I want to start by saying, initially, that uh, what the Ukrainians are doing here is incredibly controversial. They are... uh, they are uh, violating one of the international uh, international laws, which is uh, on human rights. It's the, the uh, Geneva Convention, which talks about not making prisoners of war uh items of of public debate uh, and that is clearly what is happening here not just from the three that i spoke to but all of the others who've been paraded on uh ukrainian television too And uh, i want to read you some of the quotes that 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 they told us uh, and it says you know we don't see any nazis or fascists I think it was invented as a pretext. It's something the world cannot understand. But Putin and his circle need this in order to achieve their own objectives. But now cities of peaceful civilians are being destroyed. Even I don't know what can justify the tears of a child or even worse, the deaths of innocent people and children. And you know, I think it's abundantly clear, just from that one quote, that this is not a war that their hearts are invested in. And it seems very, very clear that this is President Putin's war, not theirs.
2: I mean, it is pretty stunning, right? I mean, you just think about the entire structure of, you know, the largest militaries on this planet, right? It all relies on soldiers doing what they're told. And I know one of the POWs talked to you about their Ukrainian captors. And as you point out, even talking to them, I understand is controversial. That's why we're not showing their faces. uh, And and you're you're putting quotes and and choosing not to show the video. Mm -hmm. Um, But they told you this treatment has been acceptable. They've offered us food and drink. offered medical treatment. Did the soldiers, give you any impression that they were speaking under duress?
3: Uh, I didn't get that feeling. I mean, uh, look, let's be honest. There were Ukrainian security intelligence officials uh, and officers in the room. They were wearing balaclavas. They had AK-47s. They were loaded. Uh, But there was nothing to suggest that what they were saying was scripted in any way. I found what they had to say to be genuinely very compelling. Lots of what what was said came from who would be the ranking officer in the room. Um, uh, and, you know, they, 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 they spoke candidly about wanting to be able to go home and wanting to go and see uh, and see their families, but also about the uncertainty about what is going to happen to them. You know, and, and one of the things that they said to us, you know, is you know, our, our fate is in the hands of the armed forces of Ukraine. Of course, we want to see our families and loved ones and to meet them and hug them because they're worried. And the crimes that we committed, we will all be judged the same. And, Erin, and, and, and uh, on the topic of being judged for crimes, that was very, one very disturbing piece of information that he told us was that the bombs that the Russians are dropping across Ukraine are not guided. They're not ballistic. They are not precision guided in any way. They are World War II bombs that have been updated and upgraded, and they are dropped indiscriminately so that when, uh, when they land, uh, when they land the, the damage is extensive, uh, and I think it's very, very clear that the world is judging them now uh, and that President Putin uh, and that, that this war that he's calling uh, a special operation is going to reflect on them very, very
1: badly.
0: Yeah, I'll say so. But he doesn't seem deterred. No, none of this would be going on but for his detailed and involvement. Um, I'm sure he's saying pound the hell out of these cities. We got to break them, we got to break through. Or as I say, none of this would be happening. As a matter of fact, uh, he spoke out um and I just going to show you a little bit of this. Uh slamming away at what he calls uh, Russian scum and traitors. Go ahead.
1: В многих западных людей только за из России, подвергают настоящей травле Отказывают помощи, детей из школ, их
0: No, He's saying he's a liar, you know, and he, as he must be, he says Russians and other countries are being denied medical care, their kids aren't allowed to go to school, and on and on and on. This is simply not true. Certainly not in the West. Go ahead
1: пытаясь отменить Россию, но любой народ, а тем более российский народ, всегда сможет отличить истинных патриотов от подонков и предателей и просто выплюнет их, как случайно залетевшую в рот мошку, выплюнет на панель. Убежден, такое естественное и необходимое самоочищение общества только укрепит нашу страну.
0: So, cleansing society of the scum will uh, strengthen society, you see. He looks and talks like a uh, Hitlerian figure in my view. Putin does, that is, very much so. Um, Andrea Mitchell hopes the war in Ukraine, at least is helping the Democrats. Uh, she's a disgrace. She should have been fired as a journalist a long time ago. I wouldn't even hire her to work the friar at a McDonald's. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just think she'd screw it up. Let's take a listen. This is MSLSD with Andrea Mitchell Reports, which has no ratings, and yet she makes millions. Go.
2: And I want to quickly ask both of you about the midterms, because we have seen the president's you know, declining poll ratings stabilize and even edge up with the way he's responded on Ukraine. But he still has inflation, the Fed, you know, is going to raise rates today. Uh, and. You know he's got other problems as well phil do you want to take it first do you think that this at least is helping the democrats and helping the white house as they head into the into the it's
0: helping the democrats helping the white house she ever talked that way about the trump administration she's such an obvious phony and fraud she's so intellectually corrupt everybody knows it go ahead You know, it certainly is giving Biden an opportunity to be the strong leader uh, that he campaigned as
2: and and that he hopes to appear to be in the first year of his presidency. And importantly, the issue of inflation, which has been so troubling for Democrats politically the last few months. uh, This war gives Biden an opportunity to pin some of the blame for the rising uh, gas prices and other uh, consumer prices around the country to pin that blame on Putin.
0: Okay, that's enough of the propaganda from these people. And this is why MSNBC has no ratings, and Andre Mitchell is stuck on a backwater network for the bulk of her career called MSNBC with Sharpton and Joy Reed in the morning Schmell and this is Schmo. Good. All right, folks, I will see you next time on Levin TV.